It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. 1-866-408-7669. Clay Travis will be joining me at the bottom of the hour. He's got some exciting news. You know, he's the editor founder of Outkick. It has just been bought by Fox. You see, uh, Clay, great. It's sports, but it's also life. Uh, and he also has opinions and angle, but it's not one of these things where they just rant. A lot of people have opinions. Oh, Muhammad Ali is the greatest ever. Okay, fine. Well, he gets research into this stuff, and that's why I think stood out. Fox announced they bought OutKick, and he, uh, he's going to be part of the Fox family, somewhere between Fox Sports and Fox News, but he's joining us this hour. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If he really wants to be a viable presidential candidate, you need Twitter, you need Facebook, you need these platforms. It's how you connect with people and it's how you raise money. If you talk to anybody who studied the machinery of Donald Trump, Facebook was the main engine. It's where he had that connectivity and it's where he got his money. So that decision is huge. Yeah, Jim Vandehei weighing in. Uh, you know him from Axios. Uh, big tech ban on 2024. The big tech ban continues, and so does backlash. As former President Trump remains Facebookies bookless for at least six more months. I'll tell you why his reelection hopes depend on him getting back on. Number two. So if you have five 10-year-olds who are on a soccer field all in front of the same soccer ball, we're trying to make sure that they're not a lot of heavy breathing around a singular soccer ball with five kids around it at the same time. What we really are trying to do is ensure that all of these kids can have a really good camp experience. Mask Madness, CDC director, already with no credibility, now making ridiculous rules when it comes to summer camps. Pandemic numbers are down, but examples of mass madness are going up. Guess what? The VPs, uh, the VP, Kamala Harris, and her spouse, Doug, kiss each other outdoors, having back, being vaccinated through masks. What kind of message is that to those people who are wondering, should I get vaccinated? And how dumb is that? In particular, you don't need to do it. Maybe you've heard that. Uh, summer camp regulations will leave you speechless. Next. Number one. New figures from ICE reveal a 20% drop in deportations in a month from 3,700 in March to fewer than 3,000 in April. Yeah, it's the first time under 20,000 in quite some time. Deportations virtually stopped. ICE is frozen in places. Candor and facts have left the illegal immigrant Biden border policy as a deceptive picture as one facility is added by a fellow Democrat. I'll explain. So what happened is you might have seen this. An empty shot of a tent that was in the Donna facility in Texas shows we are on top of things of the Biden administration, no longer waiting two weeks to move out unaccompanied minors. Not move out, move into our country, by the way, because if you come as a kid, you get to stay. Dumbest policy ever. Nothing humane about it. You pay a cartel money to bring your kid by himself thousands of miles on top of trains through jungles, uh, marauders, and God knows what happens to him. And you say that's showing a big heart? No, that's showing no brains. So having said that, 22,000 unaccompanied minors are here, but the Donna facility is empty. Well, according to Henry Cuellar, the Democratic congressman from the Rio Grande Valley, they were right next door. So you showed us an empty tent, but moved the kids out to show us an empty tent. This is America, right? If Trump did that, it would have been the end of the world. So last month, 2,962 illegal immigrants were deported by ICE. That's a 20% drop. 
Uh, overall, ICE has recorded 37,000 deportations over the past seven months, putting the agency on pace for fewer than 55,000. It will be the first time that figure has fallen below 100,000 in over 10 years. Tell me something. You've seen what's happening at the border. Do you think for a second those numbers are really representative of the people that belong here? Everybody else belongs here? Not the case. No way. Kamala Harris, the border czar, who has not been to the border, did make plans in June. Cut one. Currently, the plan is for me to travel to Mexico and Guatemala June uh, 7th and 8th. If this issue were easy, it would have been solved a long time ago. The work we are doing will not evidence itself overnight. It's going to require a consistent and long-term strategy. Look, you tell them you're getting a certain amount of aid. It stops today unless I see these security measures taken up today. And then it gets restored. And if I feel as though you're doing your job, I will give you more money. But not until I see some action. That's what President Trump did. Matt Bassett, former assistant secretary for legislation, said this about Kamala Harris never going to the border and 42 days haven't left the country after the president of the United States gave her the charge to handle the border cut to. I think the vice president herself and the American people would be better served instead of giving speeches to like-minded audiences in D.C. that she actually boarded Air Force Two and went down to the border to talk to the communities that are so adversely affected as a direct result of their border policies. And I suspect that if she did, and if she actually spoke with immigrants making the trek, that no one would tell her they walked 1,200 miles on foot to get to our great country because of the weather. <laughs> she said climate change, climate adaption is the reason. I'm kidding. Climate change. Every time it's a hurricane, well, that's because we have a gas car. So we know this. You can walk outside without a mask, and then if you're vaccinated, you can walk out anywhere. And you know inside, you really are vaccinated. You can't transfer the virus. If you're vaccinated, you can go anywhere. Even Yankee and Met games are starting to say, if you're vaccinated, you can sit next to each other. You know, I'm sure it's going to be the same thing with the NBA and playoffs. They need their ticket revenue. There's no reason to keep them out. So the CDC, who's all over the place, and we know now, pressure from politicians and pressure, uh, and pressure from unions. Dr. Rochelle Walensky put out some ridiculous guidelines for campgoers. It means so much to kids in their development who've been uh, forced to sacrifice so much because they're doing their, li- their lives are on at least a portion of it's on Zoom. Here's what Dr. Rochelle Walensky saying. Mask everywhere except for eating. You even have to wear it sleeping. And when you're participating in outdoor sports in 100-degree weather, wear the mask. Cut 10. What we're really trying to avoid in this camp guidance is what we saw in outbreaks and camps last summer. So if you have five 10-year-olds who are on a soccer field all in front of the same soccer ball, we're trying to make sure that they're not a lot of heavy breathing around a singular soccer ball with five kids around it at the same time. But for spread out activities, um, uh, our outdoor mask guidance for unvaccinated people, small groups, allows for those kids to be unvaccinated. And what we really are trying to do is ensure that all of these kids can have a really good camp experience and keep the camps open without any outbreaks. Don't worry about the outbreaks. 
the kids aren't going to be affected. You want to do testing, you go do texting. They're going to be fine. It's infinitesimal chance of a kid uh, being hospitalized. And of course, there's always a chance of getting some something going wrong in camp. People, kids fall off cliffs. They get in fights. Some there's like a ridiculous number of kids drown. I don't want any of that to happen, but it happens. And there's a greater chance of that happening. And parents are still dropping off their kids every single year from the beginning of time. But the restrictions are ridiculous. Cut 11. For the most part, if you're vaccinated, we have re- recommended that you can do almost anything. We're asking that people who are vaccinated remain, uh, remain in masks when they're indoors. If I'm working with everyone in my office is also vaccinated, why? In our private settings guidance, we say if you know for certain that everyone around you has been vaccinated, they're not at risk of, they have no um, high-risk people in their, in their households, then we say in those settings that you could take off your mask. It's nuts because we were already told by her there's almost no chance of carrying the virus once you're vaccinated and giving it to some other people. She tells everyone, public health officials recommend that campers and people uh, be split into cohorts. Try to stay with people you know. Listen to what they tell these kids. Split into cohorts. Okay, cohort. So I have one friend. And we maintain, you can maintain three feet from that friend. Between other children, not non-cohorts, six feet. Ridiculous. We already found that that dates back to 1918, not even debated on science. We've been through this already. Campers are to remain six feet apart, require masks to be worn at all times, with exception of eating and swimming. The CDC expects campers to wear masks while playing sports outside and strongly discourages inside or outside contact sports. You know everybody's playing football, right? Why can't they do it in camp? Do you know they just finished spring football up and down the Northeast? Do you know down South they never even delayed it for the most part? They just played football. Now you're telling camps in 2021, kids in 2021, parents in 2021, don't let your kid do all those things. It's insane. And it's part of the reason why in Utah, at a a parent-teacher and kid meeting, a local school board meeting where this was packed, they want to know if the governor said we can get rid of the mask mandate. Why are you making our kids wear masks? Listen to how out of control this gets. And just know, uh, I think everybody I know feels the same exact way as these Utah parents who let a state senator speak but didn't let the parents and kids speak. Cut 13. You let a senator come up here and speak in the name of my children who you guys are abusing? Are you serious? You will listen to us. No. Nope. All right, we, we've had our citizen participation. No more masks! 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 I move that we adjourn this meeting. I'll second. We have a motion to adjourn and a second. All in favor, say aye. Since they're going to leave, we're going to take a call. People, I, I mean, don't they, don't they really represent some of the people that you know and how you feel in Utah, which, by the way, they say is accepting more people into their state than maybe anyone else outside Florida? Utah. Uh, for the most part, Utah is a very calm place. But when you have state officials ruining your kids' lives, that gets a little off the hook. So I want to he- let you hear from Dr. Peter McCullough. He's watching what's going on in this country. He was on with Laura Ingram last night. And he says, why is everyone so focused on masks and vaccines? It's off-putting. Cut 16. 
Now, the overall approach to the pandemic, I think, has been way too much focused on masks and vaccines. Neither one of those helps sick patients with COVID-19. That's plain defense. And in my view, the big change was when we had the Senate hearings in November, we started playing offense. Yeah. And we are on offense. And vaccines are up there. 44% have gotten a, a single shot. 33% are fully vaccinated. We know that hospitalizations are down 11%. Deaths are down 3%. Overall cases are down 27%. So listen to a Mark Gorelick. He said this from Columbia University. He told New York Magazine about all these restrictions. I am supportive of effective measures to restrain the spread of the illness. However, the CDC's recommendations cross the line into excess and are frankly senseless. Children cannot be running around outside in 90-degree weather wearing a mask, period. Quote, masking kids at camp outdoors is simply virtue signaling. Requiring kids to continuously wear masks at camps, even while outside playing in the heat, when it provides little additional protection, is unfair and cruel to children. A doctor in the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease said who will remain nameless. Even Dr. Fauci said they're a little extreme. When we come back, I'll talk about big tech and why the president, if he wants four more years in the White House, Grover Cleveland style, that means in for, out for, in for, he needs Facebook back. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Open phones right now. I am ripe to be taken advantage of. Take advantage. 866-408-7669. It's Brian Kilmeade. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. If he really wants to be a viable presidential candidate, you need Twitter, you need Facebook, you need these platforms. It's how you connect with people and it's how you raise money. He needs some way to communicate. And obviously has a very clear line to communicate in these primaries and with members of Congress because they really fear his wrath. They see that he'll use the, this new blog to attack Liz Cheney or attack uh, Mitch McConnell. But in terms of how do you raise money, how do you organize, if you talk to anybody who studied the machinery of Donald Trump, Facebook was 
was the engine, was the main engine. It's where he had that connectivity, and it's where he got his money. So that decision is huge. And it's why you're going to see, I think, increasing calls from Republicans to break up Facebook, to punish Twitter, to throw Google and Amazon in there, because in some ways they're rightly going to say, listen, the biggest platforms and most powerful companies in the world are keeping the leading contender for 2024 from one of the two major parties from communicating with his people. And obviously the companies will say it's because of terrible behavior and the spread of misinformation and lies, but that is going to be the right. fight. Really? That a lot of the lies, misinformation is because you didn't agree. Number two is it's January 6th. Number three is a suspension that was put out there by Facebook and oversaw by the board. The board came back and said, you have no rules. You, you have to set up rules for us to have oversight over. So for now, we're going to extend the suspension of President Trump, who's already permanently lifetime banned from Twitter. And Jim Vanderhei is absolutely right. In 2016, they read the Facebook wave. They rode the Facebook wave to success. In 2020, they weren't able to do the same thing. Hillary Clinton ignored Facebook, and President Trump had uh, Brad Parscale, who knew the magic and the power of Facebook. But now, without it, I don't think he can win. Steve Hayes, on the same thing from the dispatch, cut 26. I think what Facebook tried to do with this oversight board was, in effect, outsource some of these difficult decisions. And what the oversight board said was, no, no, this goes back to you, Facebook. But as we've seen from the reaction today, nobody's satisfied with this outcome. You have Democrats criticizing Facebook for uh, a number of reasons, conservatives criticizing Facebook for others. I think the long-term effect of this is that Facebook is going to find itself uh, in the crosshairs for quite a while to come. But how do you stop it? And what's the effective way to do it? You heard Larry Kudlow yesterday said, I'm not happy with breaking things up, but I'm for creating competition. That would be fine, but I'm not happy with breaking things up. He said, I'm for regulation, but I'm not in terms of Facebook, social media, and being as a newspaper, but I'm not for just deciding that these companies are too big. Uh, I can't believe that we sat there and watched them buy Instagram and, uh, and YouTube and didn't say anything. Vivek Ramswamy, he's the author of Woke Inc., sees this ban as something bigger. Cut 24. Party that controls the Senate, the House, and now the White House actually is using the private companies in Silicon Valley to do with, through the back door what they cannot do through the front door, which is to silence political opposition. And I actually think this sets up for President Trump to potentially take the iconic case of our time all the way to the real Supreme Court on the theory that, yes, conventional private companies, when they're acting as private companies, have broad discretion as to who they serve and who they don't. But these private companies, if they're acting at behest of congressional Democrats and Democratic senators who say that if you don't censor content that we don't like, we're going to come after you and break you up, right. and we're going to give you Section 230 immunity to go out and do just that, that is state action masquerading in the in the outfit of private enterprise, and that still ought to be governed by the First Amendment. Keep in mind, you say, you're saying to yourself, I don't, I don't like Trump. You know, I'm not going to vote for him again. He's just too crazy. Uh, and you're saying, well, who cares if he's banned? It's gonna, you think that Trump's the only one that's going to be banned? Do you know they took Elise Stefanik's communication director's uh, site down? Do you remember they retweeted Hunter Biden, uh, that Hunter Biden story in the New York Post? They froze the New York Post website, and they wouldn't let him, their, their Twitter account, they wouldn't let him, uh, they wouldn't let them tweet. And do you know that anyone who had that story wanted to forward that? Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you're subscribed to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Story, their accounts were frozen, including the press secretary for the United States president. So Senator Ted Cruz tweeted this out, disgraceful, for every liberal celebrating Trump's social ban. If the big tech oligarchs can muzzle the former president, what's to stop them from silencing you? You and Omar had laughter emojis. So this is what's going to be happening. Republicans got to get it together. They got to understand that they not only are fighting the media, they're not only fighting Hollywood. Now they're fighting big business. Look what these others are doing. And now they're fighting social media. They made it clear there's no subtlety here. There is a double standard, and they're proud of it. It's okay for LeBron James to put a cop's picture on his tweet and said, you're next. Not really apologize, but say I should have emphasized the victim. And he doesn't get suspended. He just got tired of it and had to get his leg, his ankle back in shape to play a game. When we come back, Clay Travis, founder of OutKick. And so much more. We're going to talk about the impact of all these things. The Liz Cheney fight with the President of the United States and what it means to the Republican Party. As well as what's happening with woke sports. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Senator Ted Cruz tweeted the following. For every liberal celebrating Trump's social media ban, If the big tech oligarchs can muzzle the former president, what's to stop them from silencing you? What do you make of that comment? Does he have a point? Well, let me first say that um, this is an independent board's decision, uh, and uh, we're not going to have any comment on the future of the former president's social media platform. The president's view is that um, the major platforms uh, have a responsibility. Uh, related to the health and safety of all Americans uh, to stop amplifying untrustworthy content. Okay, uh, so Jen Psaki's not worried about it. Clay Travis joins us now. He is the founder of OutKick and president of OutKick. Now, with the great news, OutKick is now part of the Fox News family, uh, and he is going to be uh, part of everything you hear about Fox Sports. You're going to hear about OutKick, and hear about Fox News, Fox Business, Fox Nation. Uh, you're in the lineup, Clay. Congratulations. I'm excited. First of all, thanks for having me. Uh, and uh, one reason I'm excited about it, and I wrote about this on uh, OutKick yesterday when the news came out, is because if you – and I'm putting my lawyer hat on here with you – but if you listen to everything that the president's spokesperson, Jim Zaki, said there, it, it, it's, it, it sounds decent in theory, but then you start unpacking what all of those words mean – And you realize that what we've created is an entirely arbitrary and capricious system. And the way that I would sort of describe it is most Americans, I think, would agree that what China does with the Internet is wrong. Mm -hmm. The government itself should not censor the political opinions that you are able to be able to be exposed to. For instance, a uh, woman who was born in China won the Best Director Oscar, and China just wiped her name from all social media. You couldn't see people talking about her in any way, pro or con. What we have done in America is basically the same thing, only instead of our government doing it, we've allowed big tech companies to do it. 
And so regardless of what you think about Donald Trump, the idea that the democratically elected president of the United States can be simultaneously banned by every major social media platform in the entire country at the same time should be incredibly terrifying and chilling. Because if that can happen to arguably the most powerful man in the world, it can certainly happen to you or me or your mom or your dad or one of your kids. And uh, I think this is one of, if not the most important issues of our time. I would add this. I mean, if you look at overall press coverage, they don't think it's a big deal because they don't like Trump since he, since he became a Republican That's and right. ran, ran one. Negative media coverage of past presidents, first 60 days, Pew Research. Uh, Clinton, 28 percent negative. Bush, 28 percent. We were kind of even back then, right? Obama, 20 percent. Extraordinary. Donald Trump. 62% negative coverage his first 60 days. Joe Biden, an all-time low, 19%. Now, let me tell you something. You know what a perfect game looks like. Is Joe Biden pitching a perfect game where he gets 19% <laughs> approval rate, uh, negative uh, uh, numbers? No, look, I mean, it's a rigged system. Man, and I think that's why uh, the American media in general, which we're both a part of, is considered to be held in such uh, disrepute by the vast majority of the American public. Because uh, there are very few people, to use your perfect game analogy, in the media who are still calling balls and strikes and trying to treat everybody evenly. Uh, what we have is a partisan-fueled uh, absurdity, which oftentimes leads to people believing fundamental untruths uh, and uh, and, and to me, that's the, the biggest flaw here, and it's uh, exacerbated by what the big tech companies are doing. I'll give you an example uh, for, for what we dealt with at OutKick. We shared a Wall Street Journal piece uh, by a uh, Dr. Macri from Johns Hopkins saying that by the end of April, basically, the United States was going to have uh, a form of herd immunity that was going to allow everybody to be back to normal. This was maybe in mid-March that he had this opinion, I think. That, by the way, has been true, proven to be pretty much true. His analysis of the overall situation, COVID, uh, seems to be fading on the back burners incredibly rapidly in terms of the, everybody opening back up and finally following the lead of great governors like DeSantis in Florida and uh, Abbott in Texas and allowing normalcy to occur. We got flagged uh, for spreading fake news, basically, by Facebook. And we reached back out and we said, wait a minute. We're sharing the opinion of a doctor on our website. You could agree or disagree yeah. with an opinion, but it's not fact-based, right? Like it's, it's established that it's an opinion, and you can agree again or disagree with it. But what Facebook is doing is not, is not actually any kind of way an open marketplace of ideas. I don't even know who the people at Facebook making these determinations are, but the impact for a site like OutKick was – Facebook destroyed our traffic for two weeks. We didn't exist anymore uh, in their algorithm because they had decided that they didn't like a story that we spread. If the U.S. government did that, people would be rightly up in arms. But what happens when the Facebooks and the Apples and the Amazons and the Googles uh, and, and so forth, Twitter, are as powerful and popular in terms of limiting the spread as any government could be? We've created a backdoor censorship system in the United States using big tech as the proponent of it and not fought it because I think people have been asleep at the wheel to understand what's actually going on. Yeah, I know. That's the thing about how kick you bleed into the real world, especially when the real world uh, tries to stop your sports world. i got to ask right. you about something that really uh, hurdles both worlds, and that's the Aggies and Mets came out with rules where if you're vaccinated, 
you can go to the game and sit next to people. And you can pretty much get a ticket and sit in a vaccinated section. Are you happy with the way they're going? No. I, I think every stadium, both indoor and outdoor, at this point in the world of sports, should be 100% open. Uh, if you want to take the risk uh, of life, you are able to do so. Look, the data reflects that if you're under 50 years old, uh, if you're worried about COVID, you're more likely to die driving to and from the stadium. I mean, this, I, it's like no one will actually talk about the data. Uh, this, this is wild to me, Brian. Like when you look at the numbers, if you're under 50 years old, you were almost as likely to be murdered in this country last year as you were to die of COVID. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't take smart precautions, but this idea now that every adult has the ability, if they so choose, to get a vaccine, mm-hmm. that you shouldn't be able to go to a sporting event and, and behave normally there, either indoor or outdoor, is to me fundamentally broken. I give credit to the Atlanta Braves who are going to 100% capacity uh, on Friday. We already have it with the Texas Rangers, the UFC had 15,000 fans indoors. The numbers reflect that certainly outdoors, and I think indoors as well with the rate of vaccination, we're ready 100% to get back to normalcy. I think there should be zero restrictions at all for any uh, sporting events at this point. You know, by the way, uh, we're talking to Clay Travis, who's OutKick. Uh, he's the founder and president of, of OutKick, which is now part of Fox. Uh, I guess you guys worked it out, uh, the details, and announced it yesterday. But, but, Clay, the other thing to keep in mind is that no one ever does any follow-up stories on the spread in Jacksonville, right? Okay, they, they had 14,000. They had 14,000. Did we hear about a spread in Jacksonville? I know people in Jacksonville. There's no surge in Jacksonville right now. There's no surge uh, after Ranger games in Arlington, Texas. Yes, you're right, and we know that the opposite would be true. In fact, if you remember, Joe Biden referred to the decision to open up Texas by Greg Abbott as Neanderthal thinking. And uh, maybe we all need to think a little bit more like Neanderthals because uh, the numbers on COVID have collapsed in the state of Texas since they opened up the state 100 percent. And uh, the number of people that are uh, going back to work and the amount of normalcy that's going on in that state is skyrocketing. And I believe I'm correct. Seventy thousand people are showing up in the Dallas Cowboys Stadium this weekend for a big boxing match, which will be the biggest crowd that has happened in sports since March of last year. The more events that we have like these, the more we can see that a return Mm. to normalcy with sports being an important part of that uh, is, uh, is the ultimate goal that I think we should be embracing across the country. So Clay, have you figured out, are you just going to keep everything the same or is it going to be Fox's outkick or are you changing the name at all? We're going to be outkick. I mean, I think what, what Fox is going to provide us is a lot more uh, assets, employees, and reach. So you know this. as a, One of the frustrating things can be you feel like you've got a great story. You feel like you did a great segment, and you don't have the ability to cut through all the noise out there. And we've done a good job so far as an independent site cutting through the noise. But I think some of the data points that I just shared with you, which are not being talked about a lot in the world of sports, but we fought as hard as we can saying all of the data showed that it was going to be safe for high school sports to take place, for college sports, for pro sports to take place. There were very few people saying and making those arguments, and I think we won that battle. We need to be able to win battles like these because there are a lot more people. You know, you talk about the media and how uh, dishonest it can be in the world of politics. You used this example, negative coverage of presidents. Sports media is even more slanted towards the far left wing in this country. I mean, I'm the only person in the sports media that I'm aware of that went public and said, hey, I'm voting for Trump. I think he's the better option than Biden. 
regardless of what your politics are. The fact that I'm the only guy who said it uh, is, I think, evidence of what a broken marketplace we have in the world of sports. And that matters because sports has become politics by any other name in many ways. And, uh, and, and I think it's important to have a real discussion about these issues because the results often matter a great deal. I think so. I think Brett Favre said something similar, and even though he's a legend, he's getting backlash now. People act like he got hit in the head too many times, making all these comments. Uh, No, he just feels as though Trump aligns more with what he was thinking. Why is that a big deal? Uh, So did 75 million other people. Amen. uh, The most uh, any other Republican candidate has ever had. But like he said, he did lose. The Georgia backlash, final uh, thing I like to talk about. Most Georgians are against uh, the All-Star game moving out. Why is that significant? That state just went for two Democrats in key Senate seats and did not vote for President Trump. 33% support the move to get it out because of the new election rules. 60% opposed it. This had to be one of the stupidest moves in the history of major sports. Well, it's so stupid that, that's, yes, first of all, the Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred is an imbecile for making the decision to pull the All-Star game out of Georgia based on a false understanding of what actually was included in the, the Georgia election bill. But here's what's important. The Braves are more popular in the state of Georgia than Republicans or Democrats are. And this is why Stacey Abrams edited her USA Today article and tried to claim that she had not been calling for boycotts of the state of Georgia because – I think this is going to end up echoing in a big way in the gubernatorial campaign in Georgia in 2022, and I think it will still be used and talked about in a substantial way even in 2024 uh, because such a massive percentage of Georgians disagree both with the decision by Major League Baseball to pull the All-Star game but also with the decision of corporations to wade into political issues in the first place. I know. uh, Which is is the biggest and stupidest move ever. I've been arguing for a while. These PR firms that, that represent these, uh, these big companies, they get so obsessed with what's trending on Twitter that they're always chasing a response. Do nothing is not a bad move sometimes. Yeah, right? I would like, think so. Just wait. 24 hours, the story's gone. The idea that you have to always comment on everything if you are a company is just a fundamentally bad advice that they're getting from people. Got it. Uh, Clay, congratulations. Big deal. When you start something like this and you join Fox, you're going to see – uh, best organization out there. They're going to let you do your thing, and that's all you need. Uh, Outkick founder and president, uh, Clay Travis, thank you so much. Hey, I appreciate you all having me. I'm excited about the new partnership. All right, yeah, and I look forward to having you on again, of course. one 866 We'll take your calls next. Listen and pick up on some things you didn't know before. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It seems as though the Republican Party is trying to identify what it stands for. And they're in the midst of... uh, significant uh, sort of mini-revolution going on in the Republican Party. I've been a Democrat for a long time. We've gone through periods where we've had internal fights and disagreements. I don't ever remember any like this. We badly need a Republican Party. We need a two-party system. It's not healthy to have a one-party system. I think the Republicans are further away from trying to figure out 
who they are and what they stand for than I thought they would be at this point. Well, no, they know who they are and what they stand for. Uh, it's controversial about the president, but President Trump, the former president, the former president has got 95 percent approval with Republicans. But uh, since January 6th, he has lost people like Senator Cassidy. He's lost Adam Kinzinger. He's lost Liz Cheney. But the biggest story is Liz Cheney because you can be against the president, but you can't be in leadership because right now the most powerful person is President Trump, almost like Andrew Jackson after he left office. He was actually in many cases more powerful uh, as his a lot of his people that he mentored took office. A lot of these people that he mentored might be taking office. He might be taking office. So that was Joe Biden pretending as if he cares about the Republicans breaking up. But what people uh, don't understand is Republicans are united in on the doorstep of taking back the House. They do have to settle the Liz Cheney situation, which I find fascinating. Do you know, they're talking about Elise Stefanik replacing Liz Cheney. Fine. But Elise Stefanik, as much as I like her, do you know that her conservative so-called scores are considerably lower than anything Liz Cheney put out there? She's in the 90% voting for Trump and conservatives in just about everything. She has a personality problem with the president of the United States. I have nothing against Liz Cheney, but they have to work it out. Jim Jordan doesn't think they will and thinks she is done as the number three in the House. Cut 29. You can't have a Republican conference chair reciting Democrat talking points. You can't have a Republican conference chair taking a position that 90 percent of the party disagrees with. And you can't have a Republican party chair consistently speaking out against the individual who 74 million Americans voted for. So Liz Cheney came out and wrote an editorial, and the editorial basically doubled and tripled down, says the GOP is at a turning point. History is watching us. Trump is seeking to unravel critical elements of our constitutional structure that make democracy work. Um, we have to have confidence in the result of elections and the rule of law. No other American president has ever done this. The Republican Party is at a turning point. The Republicans must decide on whether they choose truth and fidelity to the Constitution. I don't think they're at that point. That's an extreme notion. But what they're saying is the president never accepted the verdict, and there's been 60 judges who have looked at different challenges to uh, the election results in all these different states, in all 60, some of which are Trump-appointed judges, have rejected all arguments. So the president should move on and focus on 2024. I agree with that concept. But Liz Cheney doubling and tripling down makes her think like she does not care about losing her spot. I actually don't think she does care about losing her spot. Here's what Jim Vandehei said, cut 33. She's about to get tossed from leadership, and yet she thinks she might be a viable presidential candidate, not next time around, but maybe in 2028. She thinks the Republican Party at some point will repudiate Donald Trump and return more to its roots. We're looking for indications of what does the Republican Party stand for? Is there a policy anchor to it, or is it sort of a cult of personality around Trump? That's why this vote, which probably will take place next week, to remove her from leadership matters. It just shows how much Republicans are moving even closer to Trump. They're not moving further away. They're moving closer to Trump. Even some of the Republicans who voted for impeachment have gone really silent. They're not defending Liz Cheney. She's almost alone in the Republican Party. And I think it just shows the staying power of Donald Trump, which people hate to hear. But I think there's a direct correlation. Yeah, uh, last time there was a vote about a month ago or maybe longer, 145 to 61, they say leave her there. But the fact is when she keeps on taking every opportunity to rip Trump in front of Kevin McCarthy, it makes them look like they're fractured. Adam Kinzinger, Mitt Romney, we know is anti-Trump, but even example, Susan Collins. Susan Collins wouldn't even say who she voted for. And then President Trump said she's not worth the trouble. But she went out and won by a significant margin 
and has not come out against Trump. She just doesn't bring it up because they vote the same way most of the time. Why have the fight? Liz Cheney thinks I got to wrestle the party away from the former president. And as I was speaking to one prominent member of the Senate last night and said, as long as Trump's around, he will be the most powerful Republican. People have to realize that. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening to you, uh, to us, everybody. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This hour, we're going to be joined uh, by uh, Chris Wallace, who is just getting out of the shower. He wants me to buy some time. And the... Uh, well, the, the former head of Best Buy, Hubert Jolly, will be with us. What's it like in business? We hear so many businesses, all different types of businesses, are struggling for these things called employees, where the jobs number is supposed to uh, dip below 500000 for the first time. How many would be back at work if they weren't getting more money not to work? That's part of the equation as Joe Biden takes to the streets in order to sell his family plan, which was $700 billion undervalued. It's $700 billion more. But when you have $1.8 trillion, it's easy to lose $700 billion, I heard. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If he really wants to be a viable presidential candidate, you need Twitter, you need Facebook, you need these platforms. It's how you connect with people and it's how you raise money. If you talk to anybody who studied the machinery of Donald Trump, Facebook was the main engine. It's where he had that connectivity and it's where he got his money. So that decision is huge. Absolutely. Big tech and the ban, uh, ban in 2024. The big tech continue, ban continues. So does backlash as former President Trump remains Facebook less for at least six months. I'll tell you why this re- his reelection hopes depend solely on him getting back on. Number two. So if you have five 10 year olds who are on a soccer field all in front of the same soccer ball, we're trying to make sure that they're not a lot of heavy breathing around a singular soccer ball with five kids around it at the same time. What we really are trying to do is ensure that all of these kids can have a really good camp experience. Ah, uh, unbelievable. Pandemic numbers are going down, but examples of mask madness are going up as the VP spousal mask kiss and summer camp regulations leave a nation befuddled, angered and confused. Number one. New figures from ICE reveal a 20 percent drop in deportations in a month from 3,700 in March to fewer than 3,000 in April. Well, you would think that's pretty good. Uh, Deportation stopped. I guess we have no more illegal immigration problem. No, the reason is ICE is frozen in places uh, as candor and facts have left the illegal immigrant debate at the Biden border bungle. Uh, We'll find out what a fellow Democrat has said about the pictures we all saw. So with that, let's introduce a certain person. Now it's time to welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show, the esteemed Emmy-nominated host of Fox News Sunday. What is it about me that ticks people off, Brian? Always honest, always fair, and always balanced. Are you a cocaine addict? 
No apologies for relentless fact-based reporting. <laughs> I are a little punchy today, aren't we? <laughs> Folks, we take this stuff very seriously. Right. So seriously that Brian has once again been named this, this Sunday's power player. This is the essence of fake news. Donald Trump is right. You are the enemy of the American people. <laughs> <This is fake laughs> <to do. laughs> it's Chris. Brian Kilmeade can be my power player, Wallace. Right. I'm never going to be your power player, right? You were my power player. Now, first of all, have you forgotten? What? Were you the power player with your first book? It's true. When, when you were just, you know, you hadn't had sudden bestsellers. You hadn't had things turned into movies. You were just Brian from the block. And your your friend Uncle Chris made you a power player for the George Washington and whatever that thing was called. Secret Six. About six and six. Yeah. And, and you were the power player of the week. Yeah, but I mean, that was I don't know, but it's hard to I I know you tell me it's still getting traction because of the power player from ten years ago, but I just don't see it in the numbers. I'm thinking that um, the new book in the fall, I'm thinking that that might be an opportunity. It might be it's when you ask me, I'm going to be totally surprised. Okay, here's the question: yes, you are, you are, You're not the only one who's going to be surprised <laughs> when I ask you. <laughs> but uh, here's the question: you don't even have anything to sell right now. Nope. I get pre-sell. So why do you want to you be the power do, player now? But, but you do. I know, but I don't need you to be the power player for me to sell. Well, put it this way. When you do a show and you have this esteemed panel and you got these A-list guests and you look at the minute-by-minute ratings and you put me on as a power player and you see the numbers like a, like a heart attack go flying up, you're going to say, Brian, instead of a power player, uh, once in a while, every decade, maybe we do this every week. That's my sense. I, I think that, that, you know, to describe the ratings when you did the show 10 years ago as a heart attack is pretty accurate. <laughs> Thank you. I knew we'd agree on something. Hey, I, I want to talk, but first off, can you tell everyone who's, I don't want you to, to, to mow over your guests. Your guests are set, or some of them are. Can you tell us who's on this weekend? Yeah, and, and you're going to be jealous with this first one. We are going to have a co-chair of the Facebook Oversight Board, former federal judge, federal circuit court judge, considered for the Supreme Court, Michael McConnell, a George W. Bush 43 appointee. And he is going to be on the show, an exclusive interview to describe why the Facebook board did what it did and the legal and policy ramifications of that. That's pretty good, don't you think? Awesome. Fantastic. Because you know what they came out and said? They came out and said... No, uh, I don't actually. Did they make a decision? So they did, but I thought what they said after was interesting. They go, we're going to wait, you know, we're going to leave him suspended. But by the way, you put me on the board and didn't give me any rules. Tell me your rules I'm supposed to be enforcing and overseeing. So they said for six months, come up with some rules, and I could tell you we could do a better job on the board. There is no hard and fast suspension or elimination rules with Facebook, and that's why your interview is going to be so intriguing because that's what their board said. I understand that, and that is why it is going to be intriguing because, you know, it sounds like Mark Zuckerberg was was kind of hoping the board was going to solve this problem for him and he could uh, wipe his hands of it. And the board basically said, you know, you don't have any policy here, so we're going to give you six months. Uh, yes, the president will stay uh, off Facebook, but you got to come up and you got to decide it yourself. You can't just shift it to us. So uh, it, it'll be very interesting to see what he has to say. You know, there are a lot of questions, and I have, have them myself about you know, is this really an abridgment of freedom of speech? Uh, you know, it's not that, Joe, uh, that, that Donald Trump can't speak, and it doesn't. it's not that he can't 
be heard. It's that he can't use the Facebook platform. Well, Facebook is a private company. The whole question of government regulation of Facebook. I think there's a lot of public policy questions there to discuss. And uh, let me just say, you know, I'm a constitutional expert. You're even more one. Uh, I think uh, Michael McConnell probably beats both of us. True. I would say that Uh, for the one time, uh, twice, I agree with you. So a couple of things, Chris. Yes, sir. President Trump cannot even consider running for reelection if he or for a second term, if he does not get back on Facebook. That's how much Facebook meant to his campaign. The demographic, mostly Republicans on there, believe it or not, majority of Republicans. He can't win without Facebook. Do you really? Wait a I believe here. it. I know that people say that. Do you really believe that? I mean, it, it, let's just say he were to run. You know, he, it's not like he's not going to be covered by television. It's not that he's not going to be in the newspapers. It's not that he isn't going to have other avenues. I, I, and I'm not therefore saying it's okay that he be. But do you really, as a practical matter, think yeah. he couldn't win re-election or election uh, without Facebook? A couple of things. I, I think that this way he raises money. He does not get money from Goldman Sachs. He gets money from uh, Mr. and Mrs. Johnson in Montana. And if you can't reach them with your message and get past, which is, I mean, I'm looking at the stat here, uh, the negative coverage that he got, he has got no chance. I just think the, the main reason was he was able to bypass which were the normal media outlets. So I was looking at this one study by Pew Research, the first 60 days. Do you know Donald Trump had 62 percent negative press? Do you know Joe Biden has 19 so if you have to live by the mainstream, most bigger outlets, I wouldn't even say mainstream media, bigger outlets, he's going to lose the messaging and he's not going to be able to raise the money. He's not going to be having fundraisers on the on the seventh floor of his building. Well, he could. He not could have big. fundraisers. I mean, pandemic's going to be over except for kids in camp who have to. Oh, no, no. I just don't think he's going to get. I just don't think he, he has the people. They don't have the money. I think corporations have left the Republican Party, but they're still making money. I just think that he, in more practical matters, knowing how close it's going to be if he's going to win, without Facebook, I don't think it's possible. Well, the, in, can you slow down a little? Because I've got to take some notes here for my interview with McConnell. I'm serious. These are all interesting questions. Yeah. I mean, because it's just not just a question of are you banning this guy from speaking? Are you in effect banning him? What you're saying from winning from conceivably well conceivably running for president successfully? Yeah, and maybe that is the ultimate goal. I'm going to bring you to a place that nobody else is weighing in on, but I need your perspective on. So we have a situation where the Democratic Attorney General has got a private law firm investigating the handling. Uh, already did a big story on the handling of the nursing home patients, went back into nursing homes uh, and sadly died. We thought 6,000, then we heard 12,000, now we hear 15,000. Then paperwork reveals that they knew all about it and expressed it on purpose and and stopped their health inspector, Howard Zucker, from making the announcement. It's all in, in black and white, still being investigated. So Brian Yenis, our great reporter at Fox, asked Governor Cuomo this question, cut 34. Six Republicans have now asked the uh, Senate Finance Committee to open an investigation into the whole nursing home scandal. Are you willing to testify in front of Congress or cooperate with any investigation? Look, this this is, they want to play more politics, the Republicans. Uh, They have fully politicized COVID from the beginning. They then seized on nursing homes as an issue because nursing homes were ground zero for COVID for obvious reasons, all across the nation. 
uh, and they've continued to politicize it because they don't want to accept responsibility for what happened. He went on, cut 35. You have said that the reason why you did not provide the data was because you feared that data would be used politically against you. So no. did you, no. you also? Don't tell me what I said. Okay. The uh, Republicans politicized an order that, a health order, uh, that was put out by the State Department of Health on March 25th, which was, from a medical point of view, smart. They have taken every attempt to politicize it and blame Democratic states. You know what he's doing. He's ignoring that most of the people that told him to resign are Democrats, uh, including Gillibrand and Schumer, about the nine sexual allegations and the nursing home scandal is a legitimate investigation done by his attorney general that showed they went out of their way to hide the numbers, uh, especially because he had a book coming out where he used his staff to use it. My my question to you is, in the era where Governor Northam survived the blackface, looks minor compared to this in Virginia, does Cuomo survive this? Well, there are two questions. Uh, when you say survived, you mean does he does he he's up for re-election yep. next year? Yep. Can he survive in terms of not having to resign, or can he survive in terms of running as he was intending to for a fourth term as governor? Uh, you know, in terms of the first, I, I think it just depends on the investigation. And you know, one of the things I'm always kind of frustrated by is why does it take these investigators so long to do it? But apparently, it does. I mean, look. At the at the Durham investigation of the the, the beginning of the uh, of the Russia investigation of Donald Trump, I mean, we thought that was going to be done a year ago. We thought it was going to be done before the election. We're so now in May of 2021, and guess what? And this was a, a, a special counsel appointed as a special counsel by Bill Barr. So this is not this is not a democratic deal, and they still hasn't hasn't come out with the, the results of his investigation. So these things take time. I think he certainly can survive unless the investigation comes out and it is very damaging. Then I think he's in real trouble. As far as winning again in 2022, I got to think that Cuomo fatigue is just, you know, over the top, and that and that people, uh, you know, whether whether they want him to resign or not, are not going to want him to be reelected. We'll see. I mean, it's a total democratic state now. I'm I'm just fascinated. I've never seen nine accusers being called liars. And and venal, uh, nine women well, accusers we, in the Me Too movement. We saw we saw that with Donald Trump too. Well, yeah, those those were accusers at uh, past accusers. These accusers while he's in office. No, and I they agree. couldn't I'm believe that, that he did it. Whatever. People, yeah, we've seen people, you know, just flat deny it, and uh, and and we'll see whether he gets away with it. Uh, you know, I, I I would sure like to have the results of the of both investigations. You know, the the both about women and about. COVID and covering up the numbers uh, sooner rather than later. And Letitia James, the uh, New York State Attorney General, certainly doesn't seem to have any love lost for uh, Andrew Cuomo. So it will be interesting to see what happens. I'll tell you, the soundbite, the part of the soundbite there that annoyed me the most was when uh, Brian Yannis completely, perfectly summarized what Cuomo had said. And Cuomo said, don't tell me what I said. Uh, when he had summarized what Cuomo said, and how many times do you say, you know, you've said this in the past, but, uh, and I've, that's I, that's about as aggressive and rude a response as I've heard. But yep. 
It's Andrew Cuomo talking, so it's not a surprise. So one thing, what I would learn from that is this. I would have it, knowing that he'll do that, tell me if you would do this. You would have it in front of you. And then you'd say, no, this is exact quote. Uh, Excuse me, Governor. This is an exact quote, because knowing that he's going to be uh, challenging you at every stay, right? Yeah. No, I mean, you you know, that's one of the things you try to do, uh, and I agree with you, is to— as you prepare an interview is to kind of know what their talking points are. We know what their pushback is. And, you know, I mean, I literally will sit with my researcher and say, all right, well, when he says this, what do we say? And we discuss, you know, not only the question, but the follow-up, assuming what the question is going to be, what the answer right. is going to be. So what I do is I, we're with Allison, and I say, Allison, I'm going to ask this question. What do you say? And first, she, first thing she'll always say to me is, that's a great question. And I go, I appreciate that. That's as far as we go. She comments on the quality of my questions. Well, that's the way you stay hired by Brian Kilmeade. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Chris. That's why you know, it's no longer called the Kilmeade and Friends. It's called the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's it, all about you. It's we got true. It. Chris Wallace, so, Fox so, News Sunday with Chris Wallace because the show is more important than the anchor. Not on this show, there, though. There you go. Thanks, Chris. Back in a moment. You were just Brian the, from the block. Celebrating 10 years. Wait, has it really been that long? As usual, you've made it all about yourself. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Did anyone see this? Today on Fox and Friends, Brian Kilmeade interviewed some kids about remote learning and returning to school. Let's see how that works. How close are you to getting back in the room? I think that we're very, very close getting back to school. And I think that um, the way that our new right. president is handling things is a very good way. And we would not have gone to this if it were still the last president. Really? That's uh, hard to believe because the last president was saying, I want every kid back in school. You know, a Fox and Friends producer was like, mute, mute him, mute that child. No, not Brian, the child. Kilmeade was then like, and another thing, you're a big dum-dum face. It's interesting. I, 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 this first time I'm hearing that. Yeah, it, like I said, it was, it was funny and it wasn't mean. It was, it, that was all over yesterday. You and children, you do not have a good track record with kids. <laughs> I, because I hit the little kid in the face. Yes, trick shot, Titus, ball yeah. right to the nose. That was good. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you want, should I have not said anything? No, I, I mean, think was, he, I, if the kid makes a mistake, I got to correct him. No, I don't. I mean, far, look, it's <laughs> being someone on the air and having to an, like, ask the question and the follow-up, and it, you can't criticize it after the fact. You're there. You're doing it. It's, so you don't think I should have said anything? No, I think you should have said, like, how do you think it's better? Why? But That probably would have been better. Try to get but, him to elaborate to see if you have thing, an answer. Then I'm drilling down on the kid. Yep. And you know his parents are the ones who just said to him, Make sure you say this, because I wasn't even asking this president I know. in Philadelphia. The other thing is, I deal with kids all the time. I treat them like adults. <laughs> That's not very nice, Brian. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
You drive down the Strip in Las Vegas and those huge, great signs that are normally uh, promoting restaurants and entertainers say help wanted. Uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, Vegas, you know, we have thousands and thousands of employees that are needed to staff our hotels properly. Why uh, are they not there? Because of enhanced unemployment benefits. And, and think about this for a moment. The current administration said that by July 4th, they expected things to be fine for the summer. Remember that? Yep. Why did they then extend unemployment benefits to September? They're contradicting their own logics. So if we're being told that the summer we'll all be able to come back, we need our employees, Brian. Uh, and that is John Taffer, who goes into businesses, meets the people, understands what's at stake. He doesn't need to look at numbers and pie charts and bar graphs. And he is the host of Bar Rescue after already becoming a very successful business person and knows what it's going to take to revitalize this economy legitimately. Uh, that's where we're buried in debt right now. And so are individuals as well as our nation. How are we going to work our way out of it? We have the perfect guest to answer that question and more. His name is Hubert Jolie. He's the former uh, Jolly, I should say, the CEO of Best Buy and author of The Heart of Business Leadership Principles for the Next Era of Capitalism. Hubert, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Brian, thank you for having me. I look forward to our conversation. Absolutely. First off, uh, before we talk specifically about your book, how would you approach your business right now if you were in hospitality or even in the retail business where people have gone away, they've been ordering online, they've been cooking themselves, they've been ordering in, and you want to get that behavior back that we had 12 months ago, 14 months ago. Well, Brian, I think if I look at my successor at the head of uh, Best Buy, Corey Barry, I think she's doing a fabulous job. You know, the, uh, of course, uh, there's strong demand for technology products as we all you know, work and learn and eat from home. Uh, what I see, you know, if I think about this pandemic, I don't think it's a restart as we exit. It's, it's a little bit like if planet Earth had been hit by an asteroid like 66 million years ago, remember? Yeah. And, of course, all of the dinosaurs died and new species uh, emerged and, and thrived. So I think I've seen CEOs at the head of uh, uh, great companies, uh, retail companies, taking the time to think about how they're going to thrive in this new era, which means – for me, number one, it's a reset, and that entails really reimagining how you serve customers, right? Because it's not going back. And I think companies that will do a great job will be companies that provide a unique service, a differentiated value proposition that goes beyond just being a retailer. So at Best Buy, it's about enriching lives through technology by addressing key human needs, which means you know, maybe we'll help you in your home. Maybe you'll come to the store. We'll help you online. You get to choose, but we'll provide you with amazing experiences and service. The other thing is refocus. Behaviors have changed. So in particular during this time, I don't know many people who bought bottoms, right, in the apparel sector, right? We may have bought tops, but no bottoms as we were on Zoom. So you need to find new growth areas, play where the puck is going. I think the home is a big growth area. And the third thing is reconfigure, meaning that uh, Technology can now play a huge role. We've all seen that. So how do you re-engineer your operations so that you're more effective, more nimble, provide a better experience? And there's many great examples. I see that at Best Buy. I'm also on the board of Ralph Lauren. Patrice Louvet is doing a great job there, really reinventing the company where at, at Ralph Lauren, it's, it's about enabling the dream of a better life, right? So how do you create great things for customers? It's not about 
forcing the customer to get into the stores. You have to get to the customer and provide something unique. So uh, the name of your book is A Heart of Business, but you talk about the human magic. So in a time in which we're very focused on technology, you think the, the human, per, the person behind it still makes the company? Absolutely, Brian. And whether you are a tech company or a uh, people-oriented company, behind everything is human beings, right? If you think about it, let's step back. What is a company? It's a uh, human organization made of individuals working together in pursuit of a goal. And sometimes, you know, they're going to make magic happen through technology or through human interactions, but it's always human beings behind this. And when, you know, uh, in 2012, when everybody thought we were going to die, you know, Brian, the advice I was getting is cut, 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 right? You have to close stores, fire people. Like if, if, uh, if people were the problems. No, in my view, uh, people are the source. They're the engine, they're the soul of a business. So, you know, at the time, uh, I started by listening to the frontliners. They had all of the answers. And then instead of, instead of focusing on cutting headcount, we worked to grow the top line by providing great experiences to customers. And then to the extent that we had to cut costs, and we did, we cut about $2 billion of cost out. Right. Uh, we did this by focusing on eliminating non-salary expenses, which at most companies is the bulk of the cost structure. Let me give you an example, Brian. Uh, at Best Buy, do we sell a lot of TVs? Yes, we do. You know, they're large, they're thin, so they break. At Best Buy, we used to break about $200 million worth of TVs every year, if you can believe this. If you can improve the design of the TVs, the packaging, the way we handle them, you're going to reduce that uh, waste. And so it's good for the customer because nobody wants to buy a broken TV, and it's good for the bottom line. And then the last thing we did about people is, uh, in my experience, Brian, you know, strategy is important, of course, uh, but it's creating the energy that the company. In physics, we learned that energy is a finite quantity. In human organizations, I'm sure you you feel that in your own. You're a very energetic guy, right? So you, you have a spring in your step. And so as a leader, if we, if we can create an environment where people want to do great things, you know, they're, they're full of energy, they want to do great things for customers and for each other, this is when uh, magic happens. So it's a different perspective gotcha. on, on business. Hubert uh, Jolie is our uh, Jolie is our guest. He's a former chairman and CEO of Best Buy, now a senior lecturer at Harvard Business School. So uh, w- let's talk about Best Buy. What did when you took over? What did you have to change? So uh, I thought that the world needed Best Buy, right? Everybody thought we were going to die, but the world needed Best Buy. The customers needed Best Buy because for some of our purchases, it's actually helpful to be able to touch and feel you know, and experience the products and ask questions. And importantly, the vendors needed Best Buy, you know, the tech companies like Samsung and Apple and Microsoft, because they need a place where to showcase the fruit of their billions of dollars of R&D investment. So the problem was that the quality of execution had gone down. So these were self-inflicted problems. So the first phase, Brian, which we called Renew Blue, was about fixing what was broken. Specifically, number one, it was uh, making sure our prices were competitive. So we enabled our blue shirts to match Amazon prices. That was a game changer. We invested in the online shopping experience, in the supply chain, without ship as fast as Amazon, same day, next day for free. We invested in the stores, and creatively, we partnered with the world's foremost tech companies. So if you're Samsung, you see Apple opening stores, right? So maybe you can open your own stores. 
And no, we did a deal with J.K. Shin, who at the time was the CEO of Samsung Electronics. And in a period of months, Samsung got 1,000 stores within the store at Best Buy. Good for the customers, right, because they can compare the products. Good for Samsung, much faster, more efficient. And good for us, of course, because there was some money involved. So we really rejuvenated the, the, the company as our first step, fixing what was broken and breaking new life to, to the customer experience and to, to the company as a whole. We did take cost out, but as I said, not primarily focused on reducing headcount, but on improving uh, efficiency. So that was our first phase, and that led to stabilizing the business, improving margin, importantly improving customer satisfaction, and which then positioned us for, for the second phase, which were more of a strategic nature. So did you, is there part of you before you took the job that so said, uh, this model might, the ship might have sailed on this model. You know, maybe America just wants Amazon because they can get the prices, they can get it delivered, they don't want to go shopping anymore. Was there a part of you that said, maybe this model can't be saved? So, Brian, before I took the job, I actually studied, of course, because I, was, I didn't need to take the job and I was not neither crazy or suicidal or like maybe some of yeah, you want my to friends thought when I took the job. And, uh, you know, Amazon, let's agree, Amazon is an amazing company. I mean, I have so much admiration for Jeff and his team, what they've created is just extraordinary. But I think in life, there's oftentimes room more than, more than one uh, player, especially in retail. And I think in retail, you have to carve out your own space and be the best version of yourself you can be. So, of course, we, we did neutralize Amazon. Let's look at it. We have the same prices as Amazon. We have a great online shopping experience, and we ship as fast as they do. So in soccer terms, right, I'm European originally, we call this a draw. And then Best Buy has got these amazing, unique assets where you can actually touch and feel and see the products. And you have people to talk to who will even come to your home, whether it's our in-home advisors or our Geek Squad agents. So let's step back. You're buying a TV. Brian, is picture quality an important buying factor? Sure. Yes, it is. The only place in the world where you can see the Picture quality is in the real world. On an image on a site, you cannot see it, or in a box at Walmart, you just can't see it. So you actually have to. to same with speakers or uh, anything like this. Plus, the stuff is complex, right? I mean, individual products are actually relatively easy, but let's imagine you're redoing your family room. Um, online or even in store, that may not be the right approach. So we have designers who come to your place for free. They'll have a conversation. they look at what you have what you're trying to accomplish, and they'll do a proposal. You can always say no, but we can become like the CIO or CTO for your home, and we'll support everything you have in your home because we have the Geek Squad. Who else can do this, right? Uh, just There's only Best Buy can do this because uh, there's no home in the country, even right. Tim Cook or Satya Nadella, that are uh, motor brands, right? So you need to integrate different brands, and we're uniquely positioned to do this. So there's a unique place in the world for Best Buy. Gotcha. Understood. And especially because this age of technology, we'd love to be able to walk into somebody and let them explain it to you. That's from yep. my personal be belief, too. Um, when you're at the Harvard Business uh, School, when, you, when you're there talking about the future of our economy, where does capitalism come out? It seems like I, I'm getting kind of worried that I don't care how successful or unsuccessful you are. I, don't, I think people are taking it for granted 
the uniqueness that America is a place where you can try to be successful, where your ideas can have fruition, that we're not going to hamstring uh, your success or take too much from it. Do, do you feel as though your elite students, which Harvard gives you, the elite students, do they understand the merits of capitalism? I think that, you know, of course, I'm, I'm a new citizen of this wonderful country. And, you know, with my compatriot Alexis de Tocqueville, I'm a big admirer of, uh, of America and its uniqueness. What I would say today, Brian, I personally feel that in many ways the world we're in is facing a multifaceted crisis. Of course, we've had the health crisis. There is an economic crisis. There is social injustice in the, in the country. There is, there's been systemic racism. There's an environmental you know, set of issues, geopolitical tension. I don't feel the world is working perfectly today for most people. I think everybody can recognize this. So what's the definition of madness? Do the same thing and hope for a different outcome. I love capitalism. I love the freedom it has and the opportunities it creates. It's been the best invention, you know, in, in, in many ways. But I think we need, we need a re, I call it a refoundation uh, of business and capitalism around principles of purpose and humanity. And at its foundation, Adam Smith was a very moral person. It was a, a, a very uh, a human-centric view of capitalism going back all the way. And so I think there was a perversion of ca- capitalism through Milton Friedman. Shareholder primacy is a problem. If we only look at the profit and look at nothing else, bad things happen. I think an excessive focus on profit is dangerous. Plus, it's not the right way to lead companies. Profit is an outcome, but it's by having the right team, you know, people like you on, on your show uh, who are uh, uh, talented and motivated and well-equipped. Then you need to have customers who are happy, who are loyal, and that's excellence on people and customers and business that leads to excellence on profit. But if we're too profit-focused, I think we're ruined the thing. So what I'm arguing for in, in uh, the heart of business is this refoundation, and I, I believe that at the heart of business, you have four ideas, really. One is business is about the pursuit of what I call a noble person, making a positive difference in the world, serving other human beings and doing good things for them, putting right. people at the center, as we've discussed it in the case of Best Buy, and creating an environment that can unleash human magic. Three is embrace all stakeholders, you know, in a sort of declaration of interdependence. Business cannot thrive I know this in Minneapolis. If the community of the city is on fire, cannot open the stores, Brian. Understood. Cannot run the business. And then uh, the same with the planet. If the planet is on fire, cannot run a business. And then treat profit as an outcome, very important outcome, not the goal. So I think we need to reorient business and capitalism around these principles. I think most people get it. I think the, and many people are on this journey. Doing this in this new way is hard, gotcha. which is why, you know, I have some ideas to share on how, what it takes, and how leadership needs to change from that standpoint. That I got to find a way to take one of your classes. Uh, I'm going to sneak in and <laughs> say an audit. Maybe I'm going to make, make up a story that I'm doing a story on you so I could sit in some of them. I just learned a ton just Absolutely. listening to you. Absolutely. You'll be my guest. Uh, you want to be my guest in my classroom? That's the only way I'm going to get on campus. Uh, <laughs> Robert Jolet, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Congratulations on your book, The Heart of Business. I think everyone out here is going to love it and learn from it. He's chairman and uh, the, uh, the former chairman and CEO of Best Buy, and you have a huge resume besides that. Thanks so much for joining us. Best of luck with the book. Thank you, Brian. Really enjoyed our conversation. All right. Uh, you'll listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Back in a moment. 
Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. All right, my favorite time of the hour. It's time to, by the way, that was special, a great guest. Uh, And I hope... uh, Hubert Jolie. How'd I do? Okay. Hubert Jolie. Jolie, yeah. <laughs> See, when I said Jolie, I said, I'm thinking Angelina Jolie, and I corrected myself. But I Jolly. Had oh, my Very God. Americanized. What is wrong with me? Uh, the name of the book is The Heart of Business, but you have to understand how much there is to learn from him. It's scary. That's why I laid out. I'm saying I could interrupt, but there's no reason. Uh, every word he was saying is something interesting. So let's find out if there's even more interesting things to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. All right, so let me find out what else there is to know. The White House can't say if China will be punished if their rocket causes damage. The word is it could hit New York. China shoots a rocket in the air. They didn't take proper precautions, and it's coming down. Haven't they done enough damage to Earth? Not at all. Why should we ever get mad at China? They do nothing. So uh, we're going to find out soon. Uh, but the uh, Jen Psaki would not agree that they should be punished if we get hit by a rocket along with the uh, COVID-19. The question is, if it lands in China, will we ever find out? Uh, well, probably not. Meanwhile, Jared Kushner launches a group to promote relations between Arab states and Israel. That'll catch fire with the young crowd. Next, Black Lives Matter protests forms in Atlanta after police department reinstates an officer, Garrett Rolfe, awaiting murder trial for shooting Rashad Brooks. We all remember that. And Howard Stern is warning Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Matthew McConaughey about getting into politics. These are the two actors that have merged, as everybody knows, maybe getting into politics. Stern noted that his show, that he believed that all of the positive good will, from, will come from people, will go away as soon as either man makes their political opinions known. He watched it with Trump. He did. I mean, and then he also had his uh, run for governor of New York way back when. Right. But I don't think that he was serious. He, I think no, he got he a wasn't. bathroom named after him. Didn't he get a rest stop named after him? Maybe. Something I think so. That. Something in New Jersey. He also was the first to endorse Governor Pataki all those years ago. That was a while ago. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, This hour, we're going to be joined by Senator Tom Cotton and Katie Milkman. You may not know her, but you should know of her. Uh, She's the author of a great new book, How to Change the Science of Getting from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. And I booked this essentially, actually, Allison did, especially because everyone's coming out of this pandemic to a degree. Even blue states are admitting it. We're out of it. We got to get back to work. So, how do you motivate yourself to be better or back to where you were? So, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. 
Number three. If he really wants to be a viable presidential candidate, you need Twitter, you need Facebook, you need these platforms. It's how you connect with people and it's how you raise money. If you talk to anybody who studied the machinery of Donald Trump, Facebook was the main engine. It's where he had that connectivity and it's where he got his money. So that decision is huge. Axios co-founder Jim Vandehei, he's not lying. Uh, Big tech ban, 2024, the big tech ban continues and so does backlash as former President Trump remains Facebook less for at least six months. I'll tell you why his reaction... His re-election hopes depend on him getting back on. Number two. So if you have five 10-year-olds who are on a soccer field all in front of the same soccer ball, we're trying to make sure that they're not a lot of heavy breathing around a singular soccer ball with five kids around it at the same time. What we really are trying to do is ensure that all of these kids can have a really good camp experience. It's impossible to have a really good camp experience if you have to wear a mask and even when you take a nap, and no, five kids don't breathe on a soccer ball, either, either that or they're losing 5 nothing. Pandemic numbers are going down, but examples of mass madness continue. I'll explain. Number one. New figures from ICE reveal a 20% drop in deportations in a month from 3,700 in March to fewer than 3,000 in April. Deportations virtually stopped. ICE is frozen in place as candor and facts have let the illegal immigrant Biden border policy as deceptive pictures of one facility is outed by a fellow Democrat, Congressman Cuellar. I'll explain. Uh, With me right now, Senator Tom Cotton. Senator, welcome back. Hey, Brian. It's good to be on with you again. Yeah, it's been too long. Senator, first off, how do you believe Congressman Cuellar came out and said we saw an empty picture of a tent in the Donna facility and said all these kids have been moved out? Where did they go? They're still here somewhere. But you know what Cuellar said? They were right next door. A Democrat in the Rio Grande Valley. He is frustrated that this administration is trying to avoid this problem. Has anything been done? Uh, No, Brian, but it gives you a sense of what the administration views the problem as, which is bad pictures and video of large holding facilities um, with kids. The real problem, of course, is the fact that they're letting these illegal migrants into the country in the first place. If they would simply turn them back, yep. if they would demand that they apply for asylum in their own country in Mexico, you wouldn't have any of these second-order issues with the number of beds or hot meals or showers or English language instruction or anything else. That's the problem, Brian, is that we're letting illegal migrants into our country without really any pause whatsoever. Um, the fact that the Biden administration views the problem as the, how fast we're letting in our country is terribly revealing. It's so it's so dumb. Do you think people are happy when their kids' schools are overcrowded with English as a second language kids, where welfare checks are going to be going to these sponsors and their families because they have a big heart, where they don't think they understand that when you say every little kid that wants to come here comes here, it means the go sign to every kid in about five neighboring countries. We can't absorb it. Here's Kamala Harris on her new plans. Cut one. Currently, the plan is for me to travel to Mexico and Guatemala June uh, 7th and 8th. If this issue were easy, it would have been solved a long time ago. The work we are doing will not evidence itself overnight. It's going to require a consistent and long-term strategy. We're already writing a check for $300 million. She's going next month, over a month from now. Yeah, Brian, but to be fair, if Kamala Harris is in charge of a problem, probably the best you can hope for is neglect from Vice President Harris. Otherwise, it's just going to get worse if she gets hands-on. Look, she said the problem 
uh, would have been solved if it were easy to solve. This problem largely was solved a couple of years ago, Brian. Uh, we had two very effective policies. We had safe third country agreements uh, with places like Guatemala that said, you know, if you're seeking asylum, uh, which you typically don't have a right to in the United States, by the way, you have to seek it in the first country through which you pass, which for most people, south of Guatemala is Guatemala. And then second, for those people who do get to our country's border and they do say they sought asylum and got denied in Guatemala, they had to remain in Mexico. Those two policies alone, Brian, basically stopped the asylum abuses that we see at our country's border. Because remember, these illegal migrants are not seeking to evade the border patrol. They are running towards the border patrol. They are overwhelming the brave men and women we have working for the border patrol, converting them into effective social workers and babysitters and cafeteria workers when they should be stopping the drug smugglers and the gang members who are crossing the river mm-hmm. you know, a couple miles upstream. Um, but the asylum crisis, which is what we see at our border right now, was effectively under control. It's the Biden administration that opened the border and that created the new crisis. You know, Senator, I feel like we're talking, Addy, you know, you and I keep saying this is like a circular situation. I talk to other reasonable people, including Congressman Cuellar, about what it would take to fix it. There's no interest and there's no pressure on this administration to fix it. And I, I feel, feel it's an extremely frustrating conversation. It's going to cost us zillions of dollars. Uh, but I want to fast forward to another area of madness in our society, and that's mask madness. Now we find out that our our CDC has sold out to the teachers' unions and put kids last. Listen to, to Dr. Rochelle Walensky, who I'm convinced is being held hostage. Cut 10. What we're really trying to avoid in this camp guidance is what we saw in outbreaks and camps last summer. So if you have five 10-year-olds who are on a soccer field all in front of the same soccer ball, we're trying to make sure that they're not a lot of heavy breathing around a singular soccer ball with five kids around it at the same time. But for spread out activities, um, uh, our outdoor mask guidance for unvaccinated people, small groups, allows for those kids to be unvaccinated. And what we really are trying to do is ensure that all these kids can have a really good camp experience and keep the camps open without any outbreaks. Okay, I don't know where to start with that, but I'm going to leave it to you. Just let, just so you know, they say you have to leave a mask on the entire time from when you play. You're allowed to pick one kid and stay within three feet of that kid. Everybody else hits six feet. Even when you take a nap, you have to have a mask on. And I don't know if she's seen a soccer game, but you don't get five kids around a bowl and breathe on each other. So if you're a parent, and I think you uh, have young kids, and you want to send your kid to camp, do you under those guidelines? Well, Brian, I'll confess um, at risk of the mask police um, coming down on me that uh, I do not require my two boys to play masks when they're at the playground or they're running around the ball field. Um, look, Americans have long disregarded the advice of the Centers for Disease Control when it comes to things like eating steaks and eating hamburgers and drinking beers. I think they should disregard this obviously politicized advice about continuing to wear masks long after they've been vaccinated, even when they're out of doors, Brian. Uh, The messaging of Joe Biden and his administration uh, has been terrible. We're to the point now where anybody who wants a vaccine can get a vaccine. In most states, perhaps uh, all states, uh, you basically don't even need an appointment. You can just walk into a pharmacy or local clinic and get the vaccination now. Our challenge is convincing those people for whom it's not a priority, who might have questions or hesitant that the vaccine works and it'll help us uh, get our lives back to normal 
a key part of that is to say once you're vaccinated, you don't have to continue wearing a mask 24-7. You don't have to keep social distancing. You can go back to work. You can go back to restaurants. You can go to bars and concerts and movie theaters. That should be the point we're driving home to our fellow Americans. Not that you've got to keep your kid away from the soccer ball wearing a mask at all times. It's a joke. And the other thing is, so you say you did get vaccinated. I got vaccinated, too. I'm very reluctant to tell people what to do with their health. Very reluctant. But uh, are you against, like, for example, the Mets and Yankees say, I'm going to have a vaccinated section at the stadium and you can sit next to each other and you're going to be allowed into the game. How do you feel about that? Well, I, you know, Brian, I don't think we should have vaccine passports. I don't think we should condition the rights the privileges of citizenship in America on whether or not you have this vaccination. Um, and I don't think that politicians telling people to get vaccinated or giving you know a special section of the ballpark is going to convince those people for whom it's just not an urgent priority or who have some questions or doubts. What I would encourage everyone to do is to speak to their doctor, speak to their friends who've already been vaccinated, listen to their experiences. Let your doctor, if he knows you and knows your health and who you trust, answer the questions you have. Um, you got vaccinated. I got vaccinated. It was right for us. I think it's right for most people. Um, but that's the way we're going to convince our fellow citizens to do so, is to encourage them to speak to those they know and trust and whose judgment um, they respect. And also that we can all get back to normal that much faster. Uh, we should largely be back to normal already, certainly by the end of this month, once it's been more than enough time for everyone since the April 19th opening of vaccines to all Americans. Um, to get the vaccine and have the time for it to become thoroughly effective. Senator Tom Cotton, our guest, you recognize his voice. Senator, how bad a symbol is it when you see the vice president fully vaccinated with her husband fully vaccinated kiss each other goodbye with masks on outdoors? Have you ever seen anything stupider in your life? (laughs) That's a pretty high bar to clear, Brian. Um, But it's a perfect example of what we're talking about. I mean, look, my wife and I haven't kissed each other with the mask on since the beginning of the pandemic, much less since we've both gotten vaccinated. Um, but it's the kind of thing that just highlights to most Americans um, the kind of uh, mindless elevation of these signals of concern about the virus that don't really accord with science. There's no reason why a married couple, both of which uh, have been vaccinated for months, should be kissing each other with their masks on. Uh, lastly, I do not believe that Donald Trump can win, just judging by the way he got 75 million votes last time and won the first time without Facebook. He just utilized it masterfully unless something else emerges. Yesterday, they voted to continue the ban. Here's what Mark Meadows said as former chief of staff. Cut 21. It's a sad day for America. It's a sad day for Facebook, because I can tell you a number of members of Congress are now looking at, do they break up Facebook? Do they make sure that they don't have a monopoly? And I can tell you that it is two different standards, one for Donald Trump and one for a number of other people that are on their sites. So obviously it's a it's a blow to the president. He utilized Facebook, as I mentioned, uh, regularly. Do you think he can win without Facebook if this ban stays? Are they effectively telling us who's going to be president next? Yeah, well, Brian, I, I want to say that um, this should be a concern of all Americans, um, even those uh, who don't particularly like Donald Trump or support him. Um, if Facebook and Twitter can do this to a sitting president, now former president of the United States, who won't they do it to? Um, I mean, the decision yesterday from this left-wing group of academics and foreigners 
uh, is very alarming. Um, they can just entirely deplatform a former president um, without any concrete terms or finite period. Um, it, if it can happen to him, who can it not happen to? And it's a reminder of how much power these companies have accumulated and why we need to take action to ensure that they don't become the thought police and censors for all Americans. On the House side, where you started in politics, uh, there was uh, Liz Cheney, who has a great conservative voting record, has a real problem with the president, says he's circumventing the Constitution. It's time to take a stand. Uh, Jim Jordan said this is a turning point for her. Cut Cut 29. You can't have a Republican conference chair reciting Democrat talking points. You can't have a Republican conference chair taking a position that 90% of the party disagrees with, and you can't have a Republican party chair consistently speaking out against the individual who 74 million Americans voted for. Mitch McConnell is not speaking to the president. Liz Cheney obviously is not. Uh, They are pretty much mortal enemies. Can she keep her position among leadership in the House? Brian, our founding fathers and James Madison um, designed the House and the Senate to be separate and as different as possible as a protection of the liberties of the American people. And those differences sometimes lead to tensions between the House and the Senate. And I will not add further to those tensions by opining on internal House matters publicly. Wow. Was that a prepared statement? That was the most formal (laughs) retort you've ever given me ever. All of a sudden you've become a lawyer. Well, Brian, uh, I'll leave the House to handle its own internal matters, and I can tell you what unites all of us, House and Senate and Republicans across the country, is trying to stop this radical Biden agenda. It's more ra- what, uh, what disturbs you most, and I believe your best issue that's legitimate and authentic, is this teacher union issue with the CDC and what they did to a generation of kids in the most vulnerable communities And I think you guys got to go out of your way to get the word out to these minority communities that need it the most, that they've been screwed by the people they supported. Do you plan on doing that? Absolutely, Brian. Uh, I mean, it's shocking that the Biden administration is now starting to hedge its bets on whether schools should be reopened for in-person instruction five days a week come this fall. I mean, in Arkansas, we've been open since last August, and schools have not been a source of major um, virus spread, uh, spreading. Um, all schools across America need to be open now and certainly need to be open in the fall. And if the Democrats don't do that, first off, I think they can kiss the governor's races in Virginia and New Jersey goodbye, uh, but also that they're going to see a massive defections from parents all across the country, parents who have voted Democrat in the past but are sick and tired of uh, their school, kids' schools being closed and their kids being, being sacrificed to the wishes and whims of a few well-connected, powerful union bosses. Are you going to join me next week when I'm hosting The Seven? Are you too busy or too cool? Are you going to give me a prepared rejection statement from your chief no, I of staff? No, I think we're already booked, man. Are I'll we? see you Monday night. All right, good. I didn't know what was happening to our relationship there for a second. Uh, Senator Tom Cotton, thank you very much. All right, thanks, man. You got it. Uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to continue to inform you what's happening in the news. And then Katie Milkman at the bottom of the hour It's going to change your life or make your life a little bit better. You're in a rut. We'll change that. Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. You now have two presidents in a row, one Republican, one Democrat, who have committed to getting all of our forces out this year. Uh, I probably would have uh, uh, taken the same position as uh, General Austin or Secretary Austin and the Joint Chiefs of Staff in recommending uh, uh, that we keep our uh, small contingent there. But it was a very tough decision. And and the fact is, even with our forces there, uh, the Taliban are gaining ground every single day. It's true. But our forces were holding it off and allowing Kabul to take root. Uh, Robert Gates with a brand new book talking about foreign policy today and pointing out the fact, and much to my chagrin, that President Trump was for, let's end this war in Afghanistan. I'm not. I And and it's easy for me to say I'm not fighting it. I get it. But we're not fighting it either. We're holding land, providing intel and backup and resources while writing checks to case, make sure that government is representative. It saves women. It saves the region. And it gives us a bird's eye view on terror movements in Pakistan, what China is up to on the border, frustrates Russia to no end and keeps Iran at bay. Now, I know they're having presence in the area. I also know this. There's natural resources there. There's rare earth there. We could have gotten into a deal for that. So um, thanks so much uh, for listening to this portion of the show. I want you to remember the phone number 1-866-408-7669. When we come back, a very, very special, very special interview with the author of a brand new book guaranteed to inspire you, Katie Milkman. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, welcome back, everybody. There's very few segments that I know that, uh, that I could say that everyone will benefit from, but this is one of them. Katie Milkman is about to join us. She's uh, the James G. Uh, Dining Professor at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, host of uh, Choiceology Podcast, and the author of a brand new book called How to Change, The Science of Getting from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. Uh, Katie, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for having me. First word I'd like to circle is science. People think it's motivation, it's how you're born with, it's the type of family you have. Have you managed to find out and, and label it? Why did you, or you should say, how have you decided to make this a science? When did you realize there was a science behind it? Well, I was a PhD student studying computer science and business when I discovered the small but growing field of behavioral science, which was studying the ways that people make systematic errors in judgment. And it became clear quickly that there was a real opportunity to capitalize on those insights and actually turn them on their head and use science to help people make better decisions, not just to document that we make mistakes, but to use it for good. And that's that's how I got my start. So you want to see how people change. Now, I, I go back in, in life. There are some people they will say, you know, I want to quit smoking. I decided the next day I'm going to quit smoking. They do. And I'm thinking to myself, really? They must be strong. And then I see very strong people. I'm not going to quit. The, I'm, I'm going to try to quit. I've been trying to quit forever. And I'm thinking to myself, you're a natural leader. You've done, had all the success. How could you not 
quit this. How? What do you mean you want to work out? Why don't you find time to work out? Why are busy people finding time to work out? They have more kids, more things going on, but yet they always seem to work out. And I'm saying, why do those people see, become such achievers and others seem to always be frustrated with themselves? What advice can you give people? Is the first advice, headline being, that you can change? Yes, but also I would say, like, with a subheading, it is hard, so don't expect it to be an overnight magical thing that just happens. And so that's why science can help, and having actually strategies you're armed with rather than just trying to brute force it is a much better approach. Um, when we just sort of wake up and decide we're going to do something, we generally don't get that far, and that's why you know most re- New Year's resolutions fail. So we need techniques, tactics that will make it easier for us to overcome all the natural obstacles that keep us from changing and and hold us in our old patterns. And before we get into detail, this is the headline. 40% of premature deaths are the result of personal behaviors that we can change. From small decisions to daily decisions like eating, drinking, exercise, smoking, sex, and vehicle safety. So it is, uh, our, our due date is within our hands to a degree. To a much larger degree than I ever imagined growing up. That statistic that you just read absolutely boggled my mind and changed the course of my research career when I learned how powerful it would be if we could really figure out what it takes to change. All right, so you uh, let's get started. So people listening right now, they want to lose weight. They want to uh, be a better parent. Uh, they want to, uh, to, to exercise more. Uh, they want to uh, change jobs. How do they begin to change? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, the the biggest headline, and this is going to be frustrating, but the biggest headline is it depends. And then I'll give you some actually yep. useful tips. But the it depends is it depends what's holding you back. Is the reason that you haven't changed, that you haven't found the right moment to really say, like, I'm 100% all in, I'm ready to jump off this cliff and do it? Uh, is it because you find it unpleasant? You don't go to the gym or exercise because you really dislike doing it? Um, or is it because you keep forgetting? You know, is that the reason that you aren't making progress or you don't take your medications or whatever it is that's standing in your way? You don't mentor more effectively. So depending on what it is, the answer really um, varies. And I think that's a big mistake that's often made when I work with companies and individuals that are looking to change. They all want sort of a shiny off-the-shelf single solution that, and that they can use for everything. And um, when we tailor our strategy to whatever the particular obstacle is, we actually get a lot farther. But I can, I can tell you about a few common obstacles and okay. big, uh, big wins there. Okay, so <laughs> let me give you my favorite. I think my favorite insight about change um, from the research literature is that so many of us, when we have a goal, we think, I just need to find the most effective way to pursue this goal, and I will nail it. So to go to a fitness example, which is a common goal, a lot of people around New Year's want to you know, get more yep. fit. They go to the gym, and they're like, what's the most efficient workout I can do? I'm going to get on the Stairmaster. That burns the most calories per minute. Um, but a much more effective strategy that very few of us realize will be more effective because we think we're picking what's effective is to find the most fun way to pursue your goal, right? So instead of choosing the Stairmaster, you choose the Zumba class that you really enjoy. And the reason is that we're creatures who are um, really focused on the here and now and the instant gratification we get from our choices. And if something that we're doing, even if it serves some larger long-term goal, if it's not fun in the moment, if we are finding it unpleasant, we don't 
we don't persist. And so finding ways to pursue change that you actually enjoy, whether it's by making your goal social or um, doing something I call temptation bundling, which is linking it with something else fun, like you always watch your favorite TV show while you're exercising and only allow yourself to do that while you're working out. Whatever the strategy is that makes it fun for you, that can be a really big and valuable solution for a lot of goals that are right. just drudgery. I, for example, you give the example of fitness. And by the way, we're talking to uh, Katie Milkman. She's got, a, she's got a book out, How to Change the Science of Getting from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. But when it comes to fitness, the worst thing to do is say, I got to work out every day at noon or nine or six or 6 p.m. or 6 a.m. because you need flexibility in your day. And the minute that, that, that moment goes by and you don't do it, it's so easy to say, well, that my moment is past. So how do you That's rearrange right. that? Yeah, I love that you brought that up. That's um, We did this huge experiment with Google um, with thousands of their employees trying to figure out how to help them build better gym habits. And we had this really surprising finding. We thought the thing was routine, routine, routine. Let's help people get into a consistent routine the same time every day that they do the thing. And that will build a lasting habit. And we found actually we were totally wrong. Uh, it was so important, actually, the people who built a flexible habit, the ones who, if they, you know, 7 a.m. was their regular time, but they had a fallback plan. If they didn't make it to the gym at 7 then they and then they would go at 5 p.m. after work. Those were the people who built the more robust habits. And it just reinforces how important flexibility is because so much of the time when we're pursuing a goal, whether it's around exercise or meditation yeah. or you know, being a better parent, we we trip up. Uh, and like the first best plan doesn't work out and we need to be flexible so that we, we have a no matter what plan in mind as opposed to an only in the first best set of circumstances plan because uh, we'll just fall on our face if that's the way we approach things. So you use this term too. Uh, success is, is more like treating a chronic disease than curing a rash. <laughs> yeah, it's really nice visual, isn't it? Not yet, no, but I know what you mean. Yeah, it's. Um, I think it's a useful metaphor, even if it isn't one that makes your heart sing. Um, when we think about when we think about medicine, right, which is a way of changing the body. When we think about medicine, we understand that some conditions are chronic and so need chronic treatment, right? So a diabetic, a, a doctor wouldn't put them on insulin for a month and take them off of it. And I think we have like the wrong model of change. Uh, if we thought about it more, the way that we think about ailments that are with us our whole lives um, and something, you know, the, the things that are standing in the way, whether it's, it's that it's not super fun to pursue your goals or that we're forgetful or that we have habits and, and tend to fall back on whatever the easiest path is, um, whatever those, if you need to believe in yourself, those things just don't go away. Yep. And so to succeed, we have to keep using the strategies that are working as opposed to thinking it'll be, oh, I'll just really work at this goal for a month and then boom, for the rest of my life, I'll have solved this issue and I'll be a different person. So I think, I think a different mental model is in order and, and doctors sort of have it figured out and we understand that about chronic disease. And so it's, it's a more useful, even if right. kind of a negative metaphor, but it's a useful way to think about it. A lot of people say, for example, let's say I want to be rich. Okay. That's thinking grow rich. And that's similar to Norman Vincent Peale. Um, you know, the power of positive thinking, but if you really want to drill down on it, people say, get to the why, why do you want to be rich? What would you do with that money? What are you willing to sacrifice to get it? And if you have that end goal and the why is strong enough, it happens. If, if you just want to be rich, it's so general, you tend to get off the path. How do you feel about the whys making the difference between who sticks with it and not? 
It's unquestionably true, and there's decades of research showing that if you have a concrete goal and you appreciate why it matters to you, that's helpful. It's much more helpful than not having a concrete goal or a why, but it's nowhere near enough, um, right? It, those things just will not get you there. You need to, you know, think more like a problem solver, an engineer, a doctor. Um, there is, there's a lot that it takes besides positive thinking to to enact change. And so as soon as you start making more concrete plans, okay, like, and, and a plan isn't, I am going to do more of X. It is at this time, on this date, under these circumstances, I will take care of X. Uh, and, and here's my fallback plan when that first plan falls through. And here are my social supporters and the people who are going to actually go with me on that journey. And you know what? I'm going to put, I'm literally going to put stakes on this. I'm going to put money on the line that I will forfeit if I don't achieve this goal by this date. Those are the kinds of things that more set us up for success than just having a goal and a why. So you've been listening to my interview with Katie Milkman. When we come back, if she hasn't motivated you yet, she's going to tell you how to get get rid of the lack of motivation and tell you how to achieve your dreams. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Katie Milkman is here, and thanks so much for joining us. She is uh, talking about her book, How to Change the Science of Getting from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. So this is what I get a lot. I'm just not that motivated. I'm lazy. For one thing, the minute you say you're lazy, I think you're lost. You can never just say that. You're giving your body the wrong message. But I'm a procrastinator. I'm, I'm lazy. And people don't like the fact that they are, but they're willing to accept it. What if you're not willing to accept it? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Um, One of the things that I think is really important about change and one of the barriers I've written about is um, having the confidence that you can achieve it. And so I think, you know, if you if you don't believe in yourself, that does matter. I just talked about power of positive thinking. It's not enough, but but it does matter that you have some belief in yourself. And there's a number of different ways that you can build that confidence. One of my favorite tricks that I wrote about in the book is from um, research by Lauren S. Chris Winkler, a brilliant uh, new faculty member at the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern, showing that when we actually are asked for advice by other people and right. when we give advice, that actually builds our confidence confidence and our competence. So if we mentor or coach someone else, we normally think we're doing them a favor and and we may be, but we're actually helping ourselves because it helps us build our confidence that I've got what it takes. This person's looking to me as a role model. It um, helps us dredge up insights about what might work for us and makes us feel more committed because once we've told someone else to do it, we don't want to feel like a hypocrite who doesn't follow through. So I think that's one tactic and there's others, but that's one thing that can be useful in thinking about how do you build out motivation and belief in yourself um, and, and commitment that will see you through. Katie, so let, let's take a step back. You know, what is success? I mean, people, the, the simple thing, I want to be rich, I want to be famous, uh, and I want to be happy. But everyone has a different value of success. <laughs> you think you start with be happy. I would start with be happy. Personally. And what is that? How do you decide for people to say, what is that? Well, it's a great question. I mean, the, um, I think the, the research doesn't point to like a single goal that we should all agree on, although I think happiness is a pretty good one. Uh, and it really needs to be self-defined what your objectives are and what will make, make you feel you've achieved and gotten to where you want to be. And then whatever that goal is, you have to figure out, okay, let's break it down. What are the, what are the obstacles to me being happy? Is it that, uh, you know, we know a lot about what makes people happy. It turns out it's really important to have a great social network and a flourishing 
you know, set of relationships. It's really important for you to get enough sleep and to get a lot of exercise and good nutrients. It's good to find meaning at work if you want to be a happy person or meaning in some, if you're not working, meaning in whatever it is that you're doing on a daily basis. If it's taking care of children, if, you know, whatever, whatever role it is that you play, you need to find meaning in it. So those are a bunch of things that, that can become concrete goals and you could start thinking, okay, if I, if I haven't got this, how am I going to set myself up for success to have a, all of those things or, or choose one of them at a time, really, actually. And the research shows if you're making plans and trying to achieve too many goals at a time, that can be demotivating. Right. So ideally, sort of bite off one at a time and start becoming a tactician. Make your plan. How are you going to do this concretely on a day-to-day basis? And what kinds of structures and supports do you need to build in Write it. To, to make Write sure it down. you can achieve it? Write it down. Writing it down can be helpful if it's um, if the re- the act of writing helps you structure your plan correctly. So there's this great research by Peter Golwitzer, an NYU psychologist, showing that when we make plans, we normally are just much too abstract about them, and so we need to be much more concrete and thinking through the you know when will I do it, where will I do it. I've mentioned this. Uh, how will I do it? Um, so writing it down can sometimes lead you to do those things. If you write down the okay, if it's if it's 3 p.m. on a Thursday, that's when I will go to spin class or I will meditate or I will um, make sure I go grab a coffee with my aunt. <laughs> Whatever it is that you're trying to do, if writing it down helps you make that more concrete plan, then it can be valuable. But, but the act of writing itself, I don't know of research mm-hmm. that shows that is particularly valuable. Gotcha. And you also wrote a story that's in The Economist now or contributed to a story. No, you wrote it. Uh, that talked about the need to get a vaccine. And how do you nudge people to do it in a free society if we're trying to get herd immunity and we're stuck at 40 percent? It's not going to happen. What's the best way to approach that with somebody making the decision that they want to make? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, My team actually at the University of Pennsylvania has spent a lot of time thinking about this. We partnered on a a project with Walmart pharmacies um, and also with two large health systems, Penn Medicine and Geisinger, last fall, seeing this moment coming, we said, let's let's set up the biggest test that's ever been run to understand how do we nudge vaccinations. So not taking away people's power to choose, but encouraging, like sending, we tested different text messages that would encourage people. We tried everything from sort of, you know, beat the neighboring community to donate this to or dedicate this to a loved one or do it for the people in your life you care about um, to a really simple message that turned out to be the most effective. And that was just, uh, we have a vaccine reserved for you or waiting for you. Um, it ha- sort of has your name on it. And by uh, conveying that there there was something already set aside for you that your doctor's office or your pharmacist felt was appropriate for you, I think uh, it did a few things that were powerful. One is um, it conveys sort of a recommendation and a social expectation. Um, it also conveys that there's something, it, it really literally belongs to you already. There's something called the endowment effect, where when something belongs to you, you actually value it more. Um, There's also research showing that when we give someone an appointment to get a vaccine, we just say, here's the date and time at a convenient location where you can get it, sort of like saying it's reserved for you. Uh, That increases vaccination rates 36% compared to just letting people schedule a vaccine at a convenient time. So I actually think a really simple thing we, we could be and should be doing based on those those studies is um, giving every American an appointment. You know, they can cancel it, they can reschedule it, but like take out all of the inconvenience and hassle and worry about how do I get online, how do I find it, which pharmacy has it, and and make it clear that it's sort of the presumed um, yeah, good idea that you'll take it. 
as that opposed to what New Jersey's doing. New Jersey says, come down. Uh, if you take a shot in this bar, we'll give you a beer. Uh, you have a different <laughs> approach. Uh, but you know, I like yours better. I work, too. I, I think we can do all of the above. You <laughs> Absolutely. Know? You can have some people's default uh, shots their appointments be scheduled at the bar if that's their favorite hangout rather than the CVS pharmacy. So, <laughs> Katie, normally I look at a book uh, coming out like this and say perfect for New Year's Eve, but this is New Year's Eve. We're beginning to come out of this pandemic at a great rate. This is a perfect time to say, okay, I'm going to change a few things now. I'm getting back to life. Uh, Katie Milkman wrote it. It's how to change the science of getting from where you are to where you want to be. It's not cheerleading. There's a science behind it. Katie, thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was Uh, really fun. All right. That was pretty cool. I love hearing new ways to get yourself out of a rut, but bring science into it and emotion out of it. By the way, I have a new book coming out. It's called The President and uh, and the Freedom Fighter. It's about Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and how they saved America's soul. You can go to briankillme.com or go to Amazon, and you can pre-order it now. I think it's the best one yet, and I certainly think we're ready for the message. And it really took place and takes root with both men being born coming up in America, culminating in 1865. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.